Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. We're continuing in our study uh, through Matthew 11 uh, of John the Baptist, who came in the spirit and power of Elijah as part of our broader series uh, on Elijah and Elisha. Uh, so today I want to look at the next part of Matthew 11, which is verses 7 to 15. So Matthew 11, beginning in verse 7, and we have it on the overhead uh, as well. Uh, as these men were going away, Yeshua began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Uh, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No. Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who's more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written. Behold, I send my messenger before you, who prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, uh, there hasn't risen anyone greater than Yochanan Hamatbil, John the Immerser, John the Baptist. Yet one who's the least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence or is forcibly entered, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, Eliyahu, who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the most famous and and most controversial verse in, in this passage is verse 12. Uh, the NIV uh, puts it like this, without putting it overhead. It says, uh, for, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Uh, the forceful take hold of it, the forceful lay hold of it, the forceful receive it. Uh, the King James says, puts it this way, uh, the overhead. Uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, uh, and the violent bear it away. From the days of of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven advances through violence. That's what the literal Greek says. Uh, The kingdom uh, moves forward through violence, uh, and the violent are the ones who lay hold of it. Now, now what does this mean? Uh, The context is Yeshua, of course, is talking about John the Baptist. We read this about him in Matthew 3, verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, do teshuvah, repent, for the Malkut HaShemayim, for the kingdom of heaven uh, is at hand. John came preaching a message that the Messiah was coming to bring in the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, Hebraically, means someone's coming to put everything straight, uh, to make the world right again, to, to right all the wrongs, for the Lord to rule and to reign on earth as he does in heaven. And John's saying that this kingdom is coming, and there's one who's coming to usher it in, Yeshua, the Messiah. That's what John says about Yeshua. Now, what does Yeshua say about John? Yeshua says John understands that the kingdom of God, this power coming to set the world straight again, it's real and it's coming uh, and it will change and it will transform everything. And this truth radicalized John. Uh, It turned him into a prophet crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Wearing clothes of camel's hair and uh, eating wild locusts and honey. And what was John's message? Uh, reading on in Matthew 3, verse 7. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him 
for immersion, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't suppose you can say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, from these very stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I immerse you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands, and he'll thoroughly cleanse the threshing floor. And he'll gather his wheat into the, his wheat into the barns, but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So Yeshua's message radicalized and transformed John and put him at odds with the power structures of his day. Yeshua says, John's not some nobleman uh, dressed in finery living in king's palaces. No, John, uh, he's outside the mainstream. Uh, He's non-compromising. He's outspoken. He's spiritually intense. The kingdom of God meant everything to John. Uh, It dominated his life. And then Yeshua says, look at yourself. How do you receive my message of the kingdom? Some of you say, well, that's interesting. That's thought-provoking. Some of you say it's even inspirational. And yet the status quo in your life has not been challenged. Some of you want to hear about it and even assent to the kingdom of God. But in your life, you go on with business as usual. What Yeshua is saying here, that is impossible. He says again, Matthew eleven twelve. For the day, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent are the ones who take it by force. He says the kingdom of heaven must be forcibly entered. He says in Luke nine verse twenty three, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses or forfeits his soul? Yeshua says the kingdom of heaven comes into your life with a spiritual force, uh, with with a life-changing, violent force. And it demands self-denial, he says. And, And taking up your cross. The cross, of course, was an instrument of death. The kingdom of God requires you to die to self, to die to your pride, to your ambition, to your secret lust, to your temper, to your unforgiving spirit, to your judgmental spirit, to your bitterness, to your envy, to your stubbornness, and instead to follow Yeshua as the one who now rules and directs and leads your life. You become his bondservant, and your life begins to uh, therefore exhibit the fruits of his spirit living within you. I'll put this on the overhead. The kingdom of God can only be entered forcibly It requires your entire life commitment. And therefore, only the violent, only forceful people, only people willing to go all in with Yeshua as their Lord lay hold of it. Now, this is a hard saying, and it bothers a lot of people. In fact, this is why the modern translators have such a hard time with this verse and usually translate it by leaving out or changing the word violence. People say, isn't this the meek and mild Yeshua? The one who says, blessed are the peacemakers? Isn't this the one who says, turn the other cheek? Yes, 
But Yeshua is multidimensional, and you cannot put him in a box. He also demands complete surrender and total allegiance. And he's purposely challenging us here with these provocative words. He's purposely getting our attention and forcing us to confront the true nature of what he's calling you to. Yeshua wants us to ask, what do you mean by by the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and, and the violent take it by force? He wants to startle uh, and surprise uh, and, and force you to truly wrestle with his words. So let's examine this passage. Let's tell the overhead. Uh, so number one, what is spiritual violence? Number two, how do we arouse it in our souls? And number three, how do we fan the flames in those of us who are burned low? So number one, what is spiritual uh, forcefulness or violence? Which Yeshua says is the only way to enter his kingdom enter the kingdom of God and to advance in the kingdom of God. Well, first of all, just to clarify very quickly, Yeshua is not talking here about physical violence. Indeed, in the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua says, not even to have anger or hatred in your heart. Look at Matthew 5, 21. Before the ancients were told, uh, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother is guilty before the court. And then down in Matthew 5, 38, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. So Yeshua here, he's not advocating physical violence in Matthew 11 is the way to enter God's kingdom. And he's not limiting this requirement of spiritual violence, spiritual forcefulness, to only those people who are particularly evil or wicked, who've committed great crimes. Many people tend to say, well, yes, those types... They need that kind of radical, born-again stuff, but not decent, normal, good folk like me. But no, our sinfulness and our depravity is so great, we all equally need the gospel. In fact, there was, do this little thought experiment now here. There's just no one in this entire room, if all your thoughts that you, you thought over this, just this last week alone were all of a sudden displayed on these overhead screens... There's no one in this room who would not run out of here screaming. We all need radical transformation and complete forceful commitment to Yeshua. We all need the regeneration that only an absolute surrender to Yeshua produces. So here's what Yeshua is saying. He's saying the true born-again believers are not passive people. That real Yeshua faith cannot be received passively. It is proactive. It takes total commitment. It takes, if you will, a holy violence, a spiritual aggressiveness, a type of spiritual hunger and ferocity. No, no, a lot of modern people, when I talk like that, a lot of modern people will stare blankly at such terminology like a cow would stare at a new gate. A spiritual ferocity uh, and intensity. The world knows nothing of this because it equates radical spiritual ferocity and zealousness. It equates that with, either with uh, crazy people or, or with arrogant, prideful, pharisaical, narrow minded bigots. The world, in its bias and prejudice, believes the only people who are spiritually intense are either mentally unstable or arrogant, hypocritical power-hungry killjoys. But Yeshua, he, would, he attracted tremendous crowds. 
People loved him. Uh, he wasn't any of these stereotypes. And he also had hard words to say. And he would not compromise with the world or the flesh or the devil. And because of his popularity, oh, with the crowds pressing him on every side all the time, the only people who got to hear him were the spiritually intense and aggressive and zealous ones. The ones who, who came super early to be first in line. The people who scrambled up a tree or broke in through a roof. Only the relentless and the committed and the creative got within sight of Yeshua at, at a big gathering. But those who, who just showed up on time, who expected normal conditions, who made only a modest, respectable effort, uh, who were casual in their commitment to Yeshua, those people couldn't even get within earshot. If you wanted to get close to Yeshua, you had to buck the crowd. Not to worry about societal acceptance. You had to be single-mindedly intent and totally committed to being with him and to following him. Even to the extent of climbing up on a house and tearing up a roof and lowering a paralyzed friend on a mat down into the middle of the crowd. Yeshua says there's a certain kind of relentlessness a certain kind of hard pursuit, a spiritual ferocity and intensity that, most, uh, that, that must be laid hold of if you want to enter his kingdom. Now, of course, you cannot simply will yourself to be a Yeshua follower, to be a believer. God's grace is involved, and God's grace is a free gift. So there is a mystery here and a cooperative effort here. God's spirit must come and open your heart, and you must repent uh, and trust in him, which means you must turn from your sin and turn from yourself and turn to him. But I put this on the overhead. How do you know that God's spirit is working in you? Well, here's how you know. You, you get spiritually violent. The way you know God's spirit is striving with you is that you are striving too. You're responding to the spirit wooing you. Matthew eleven twelve, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent bear it away. Now, number two, uh, what are the marks uh, of this holy violence? What are the marks of, of this spiritual ferocity? Well, first, a person who receives the kingdom of God is marked by a proactive seeking after the truth. You know, there are two kinds of people who are not ferocious in seeking after spiritual truth. One is the busy person. Uh, busy people, they, they are assertive uh, and aggressive and intense, but they're assertive and aggressive and intense about their careers. But when it comes to spiritual truth, the busy person says, well, yeah, these are interesting speculations, uh, but uh, I could make partner in 10 years if I work really hard. Uh, so there's an aggressiveness about career or, or money or, or, or success and material goods, but not about God. Or maybe there's an aggressiveness uh, about your appearance or, or your artistic ability or your achievements or your relationships and your pleasures, but not following the Lord. Or maybe there's aggressiveness about politics and social causes and ideolo- ideology and power, but not about being a disciple of Yeshua. There's no hard, proactive seeking after God and a relationship with Him. The busy person is too preoccupied with the things of this world to seek after eternal life with the Lord. The busy person is not a ferocious, proactive seeker after the truth. The other kind of person who's also not ferocious for spiritual truth and spiritual reality uh, is the cynic. 
Cynics are more worldly wise than busy people. Cynics know that they're not going to find that that mysterious missing something if they just make partner or they they get into the orchestra or they make first string on the ball team or they get into the right dress size or they have a great relationship or they buy that mansion on the beach. Cynics, they realize this. They say, life's hard, then you die. (laughs) There is no ultimate joy or fulfillment out there. So just do what you want to do. And therefore, cynics are hostile to the idea of spiritual truth. They say there are no answers. And cynics, by the way, are often former busy people who've been disappointed. And so they kill that part of their heart that wanted those things. They've hardened their heart against the belief there really is joy. Uh, There really is freedom. There really is a personal God uh, who created you and wants to relate to you. But a Yeshua follower believes the Bible's promises. A Yeshua follower has not killed hope. A Yeshua follower, excuse me, ferociously seeks after the truth. You know, in that famous movie Hook, directed by Steven Spielberg, Maggie Smith plays this old, old Wendy, uh, who's talking to Robin Williams, who plays the grown-up Peter Pan, who doesn't remember his enchanted past. And what does she say to him? Peter, all the stories are true. And therein lies an unconscious revelation about the gospel as well. A believer knows the stories of the gospels are true. These accounts are all all correct, all of it. And they lay hold of it by faith. And we place our hope in it and our hope in the Lord. There is a hero who will bring in a golden age, a millennial kingdom. We are going to live forever with Yeshua if we are his. Peter, all the stories are true. Why do you think the cynics get so angry when you say that you can be born again and you can know Yeshua and you can have eternal life and and you can live forever with him? You know why they get so angry? It's a psychological defense mechanism because underneath all their intellectual objections, they refuse to allow themselves to get excited about the truth. The, uh, the, The busy people, they're excited about things, about their careers, but the cynics, they aren't excited about anything. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent bear it away. The violent are those who truly come to Yeshua and are willing to seek him with all of their heart and are willing to respond to the truth of of who he is and what he demands. Someone who's wrestling with the big question and studying the scriptures and working through whatever objections they have and doubts and unbeliefs, they are much closer to the kingdom of God than someone who, who, who simply casually says, yeah, sure, I believe those things. I grew up with it all my life. Uh, but let's not overdo it. Let's not get fanatical. Let's keep religion in its proper place. So what does it mean in, in Luke 9 when Yeshua says that to be his disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow him? Oh, what is this life of total commitment, of holy violence, of spiritual aggressiveness look like? What does it mean to follow him? Yeshua actually flushes it out a bit later in in chapter 9 of Luke. He says this in in Luke 9, 57. As you were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Yeshua responds, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you... Go and proclaim everywhere the God's kingdom. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. 
But Yeshua said to him, No one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. As this passage describes, being a disciple of Yeshua means that he must be your number one priority in everything. There must be a holy violence, a spiritual aggressiveness in your commitment to follow him. Being a disciple means, means setting a whole new priority. You know, these three men that Yeshua encounters on the road at the end of Luke chapter 9, what's striking with them is that all three of them say that they're willing, in fact, they're eager to follow Yeshua. But then Yeshua's response to them, perplexingly, uh, it's harsh, it's blunt, it's, it's challenging. The first one says this in Luke 9, 57, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Yeshua responds, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yeshua says, in essence, there's nothing wrong technically with what you said, but I discern a wrong heart attitude hiding underneath your right statement. Do you know what kind of savior I am? I'm not the kind that wins political or military contests, uh, that rallies people uh, together, uh, uh, that gathers constituencies or pull together, uh, pulls together armies, uh, who triumphs politically or militarily. No. I'm a savior who saves through being condemned, through being arrested, uh, through dying. I'm a savior who saves through breaking my heart. And then Yeshua, in essence, he says to this guy, now let's apply this to the one area in your life that you may have a problem with. He says, I see you've got a home. Uh, You've got possessions. You've got a nice standard of living. Are you willing to put me before that? Are you willing to, to lose those things for me? And then he moves on to the second and third guys. And they're both similar to each other. Their concern is not their standard of living or their possessions or their wealth. Their concern are, is their family. Uh, and the first man says, I'd love to come with you, but first I have to go bury my father. The other one says, let me first go back and, and say goodbye to my family. Now, there's nothing wrong, of course, with having a funeral for your father. And there's nothing wrong with going back to see your family. Uh, there's nothing, nothing wrong with what they, what they asked or, 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 uh, for, for Yeshua here to, to let them do, just like there was nothing wrong with the first person's statements. But Yeshua is seeing a wrong heart attitude underneath the statement. What he's actually saying is, is for you uh, to go to your father's funeral, for you that would be a bad idea. Uh, and, and by the way, most commentators say that Hebraically, what's really happening here behind the scenes is that in ancient Jewish culture... Uh, is that um, a, a, the, the, in this story here, the man's father is not dead. Uh, but, the, but in essence, he's, he's saying, let me wait until my father dies, uh, years down the road, and I collect the inheritance, and then I'll come and follow you. So most commentators believe that this is what's being said Hebraically. But either way, his, Yeshua's rebuke of this man, he, Yeshua's saying, I must come first, even before your parents. Uh, indeed, um, notice that, he, that the, in the language here, in both cases, the men say, Lord, let me do this first. Uh, first, let me bury my father. First, let me see my family. In other words, okay, Yeshua, but first these other various things, uh, then you, Yeshua. And Yeshua says, no, there cannot be any but first. I must be first. Well, you're not my disciple. I must be your priority over your career, over your money, over your family, over your father. I must be your priority over all. 
That's what he's saying. And he says it in a very vivid way. Uh, notice the last verse, verse 62, Luke 9, 62. Yeshua said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now think about this image here that Yeshua was painting. When you plowed uh, in that rocky soil, uh, you could never look away. The ox is pulling this plow. You're trudging along one furrow at a time. Uh, but unless you carefully watch the whole time, not only would the furrow that you're plowing not be parallel to the other furrows, but even more importantly, you would easily run into a rock and you'd break the plow. So it was well known in those days that a farmer could not look away, uh, could not take their eyes off the ground in front of them. You had to be completely focused on what you were plowing. You would be completely without distraction. You had to, to ditch all competing thoughts and take every thought captive to what you were doing. And in the same way Yeshua was saying, my disciple must be utterly focused on me. Nothing else can compete for first place in your life. And when Yeshua says, fit for the kingdom, uh, the word here in Greek actually means useful. Uh, Yeshua was saying, unless your relationship with me is your highest priority, unless delighting in me, serving me, being like me, knowing me, is your highest priority, the supernatural power of God's kingdom will not flow through you. Your life will not be a useful, suitable, suitable uh, vehicle for the power of my kingdom. Uh, indeed, we read this in Hebrews uh, 10.38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So first, Yeshua says this. And then secondly, even more strikingly, in Luke 9.60, he says, Let the dead bury their dead. And of all Yeshua's hard statements, this one is probably one of the most perplexing and, and, and provocative. It's, it's the same, uh, same time, very kind of in your face, as well as very cryptic. You know, what does this mean? Well, to start with, he says, let the dead bury their dead. Well, the first dead, to do this, the first dead cannot be physically dead, right? <laughs> physically dead people can't dig graves and bury people. So the first dead can't mean physically dead. He must mean spiritually dead. So here's what I think he's saying. He's saying to be spiritually dead is to be as blind and as deaf and as insensitive to spiritual realities as a physical corpse is to physical realities. And therefore, he's saying this. If you say, well, I believe in you, Yeshua. Uh, but, but I believe in him, but, but I can't put my total trust in him just right now. I can't put him first right now. Uh, I've got other more pressing, more urgent priorities. Uh, I've got my career. Uh, I want to have some fun. Uh, I want to wait maybe till my parents die because they'd be unhappy if I became a Yeshua follower. In other words, I'd like to put Yeshua first, and I'll get around to it someday. Uh, just not now. You know, I get it. I see who he is. I see what he's done. But, but I'm not going to put him first just yet. And Yeshua is saying, if you really got it, you wouldn't put it off. Uh, if that's your attitude, then I'm not your Lord. Uh, and if I'm not your Lord, I'm not your Savior. It's as simple as that. Uh, either you die to self and you follow me, or you live for self and follow your own gods and desires and ambitions and self-life uh, and idols. There is no middle ground. Either you're hot or you're cold. And the lukewarm gets spit out. Yeshua is saying, to say that, that something else comes first, to fail to put me first in your life, means you're still 
spiritually dead. Let the dead bury their dead. But my disciples follow me. My disciples are empowered by my spirit and therefore have a spiritual ferocity and boldness and forcefulness and resolute commitment about them. They leave their nets and they come and follow me. When I call a man, I bid him to come and die. But then I raise him to newness of life. And if you're truly regenerated and reborn and filled with my spirit, uh, you, you will not want to put off responding to my call. You won't say, yeah, I understand the gospel. I believe the gospel. But I'm not going to be, be fully following you, Lord Yeshua, uh, until later on. Uh, if you're putting Yeshua off until later, you don't understand the gospel, and you have not put your saving faith in him. And therefore, you don't get it. And by the way, you won't necessarily be able or even willing to follow him someday in the future. Who knows if the Spirit of God will still come to you someday in the future? He cannot be manipulated to fit your schedule. Today is the day of salvation. So you need to wake up from your spiritual slumber. Do not flatter or deceive yourself to say, oh, I understand the gospel. I'm just not ready yet to put Yeshua as a central priority in my life. Because if you say that, you do not understand the gospel at all. If the Lord of the universe revealed himself to you and offered to forgive you your sins and give you eternal life and have a personal relationship with you, you would not say, yeah, that all sounds great, but, but can we maybe do it later on a few years from now? I've got more important things that I need to do first. Do you see how ridiculous that response would be? If that's your response, you are still utterly lost and in your sins. Luke 9.62. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for God's kingdom. Either you're following Yeshua or you're following the world. Luke 9.60. Let the dead bury their dead. Yeshua says it takes spiritual deadness to put anything else before me. If I'm not first in your life, you're living in a kind of a spiritual deadness. Yeshua is saying here, I must be your number one priority in your life, or you're not my disciple. And if you don't have this type of violent, radical commitment, you really do not understand the gospel or the kingdom of God. You don't see it. Uh, uh, you really don't see me, Yeshua says. You don't see who I am. You don't see what I've done. You have eyes, but you don't see you have ears, but you don't hear. Isaiah six ten. Lest you see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your heart and repent and be healed. So if this is you today, you need to wake up and cry out to the Lord in true repentance and commitment and surrender. Because Yeshua needs to be your Lord as well as your Savior. Here's an example. Let's say you come to my home. Uh, and you say to me, oh, yo, I come to your home, and you say to me, well, come on in, David, but Schiller, you stay out. Uh, that would be a problem, <laughs> because I can't separate the two of them. <laughs> I'm all David, and I'm also all Schiller. It's not like the top half of me is David and the bottom half is Schiller. <laughs> I'm all David, and I'm all Schiller. So if you won't have Schiller, you can't have David. <laughs> because if you, take, if you tell Schiller to stay out... David can't come in. I can't come in at all. 
In the same way to say to Yeshua, come into my life, forgive my sins, answer my prayers. I want to believe on you. I want to have assurance of eternal life. But do not be the absolute master of my life. Don't be the absolute focal point of every area of my life. Yeshua, come in as Savior, but, but stay out as Lord. If you say that, he cannot come in at all. You cannot divide him up like that. Because he's all Savior. And he's all Lord. He's Lord because he's Savior. And he's Savior because he's Lord. If you intellectually assent to the truths of the gospel, Yeshua is the Messiah, he's the Son of God, he's divine, he died for my sins, uh, he rose again. But he's not the center of your life. He's not the number one highest priority in every area of your life. Then you have not received the gospel. And Yeshua is not yet your Savior or your Lord. So it's not just a matter of discipline or willpower. There's a spiritual deadness. You must bring these dry bones to life. And the kingdom of God must be forcibly pursued and entered. Matthew eleven twelve again. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent men take it by force. They forcibly enter. Now here's something else. This holy violence, this spiritual aggressiveness and ferocity... It's also been characterized by someone who's willing to buck the flow. John the Baptist was an outsider. He didn't care what others thought about him. Uh, Yeshua says, anyone who wishes to follow me must be willing to take the scorn of others. You know, in America, we believers were maybe just, just snubbed. In other parts of the world, they're shot. But the principle is the same. Are you willing to lose your reputation and your friendships and your career opportunities, uh, and maybe someday, maybe in the near future, far worse, in order to stand for Yeshua and not to deny him in either word or deed. If you stand for Yeshua, there will always be those who will oppose you, uh, sometimes even your own family. Are you willing to lose all in order to follow him? Kingdom of heaven suffer with violence, and the violent take it by force. Third, and the overhead, the spiritual violence is not marked only by one, a proactive seeking after truth, and number two, a willingness to buck the crowd, but number three, a spiritual uh, and aggressive humility. There's nothing more intense than the humility that it takes to become a Yeshua follower. John the Baptist and Yeshua, they both, both preach, if you want to enter God's kingdom, the first thing you must do is Repent which starts with a radical, aggressive, intense humility, being poor in spirit, humble in spirit. You know, the world says, if you claim to know God, you must be arrogant. But that assumes that salvation is a prize to be won, not a gift to be received. You see, if salvation is by works, if it's a prize to be earned and to be won, then yes, maybe you have to be arrogant to claim you have it. But if instead, if it's a gift to be received and received through humility, there's nothing arrogant about being offered and receiving that gift. Yeshua said the only people who receive the kingdom are those who first admitted they're utterly incapable of winning the prize on their own. They're helpless, steeped in sin and rebellion and self-centeredness, and who are willing to humble themselves and repent, and cry out, Lord, save me, a sinner. On the overhead, 
The only people who enter the kingdom are those who admit it's not a prize to be won, but a gift to be received. And when you see how deeply you have to repent, when you see the other, the other darkness of your sin compared to the other holiness of God, you, uh, uh, you realize the problem of the universe is me. I deserve to be utterly cut off and thrown into hell. And that death to self is actually the beginning of your salvation, the beginning of your resurrection. Only the spiritually humble, only the humbly ferocious receive the kingdom. Do you know today that you are a born-again believer? Do you know that if you died today, you'd be with Yeshua in heaven? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? If you say, well, I hope so. Or if you say, yeah, I'm trying. Then you have not yet received this radical humility. You haven't gotten it. You still think it's a prize to be won, not a gift to be received. The kingdom of heaven is forcibly entered. It requires a radical spiritual ferocity, which includes an intense humility. On the overhead, lastly, not only do you need a spiritual violence to get get into God's kingdom, you also need a spiritual violence to advance and to grow in God's kingdom. The way you know someone's a true born-again believer and not someone who merely is giving nominal assent uh, to the gospel truths is the more they begin to know God, the more desperately they want to know him more and more. The more you experience Yeshua's love, the more desperately thirsty you are for more and more and more of his love. And therefore, your prayer life is characterized by a holy violence. Go today and try to pray just for two hours, just two hours straight, and you will know why Yeshua says the kingdom of God advances through spiritual violence. Because it takes spiritual commitment to concentrate and to keep your focus and to to fix your mind on the Lord uh, and to pray with fervor and to confess your sin uh, and to intercede for others and meditate on the truths of his word and to seek the face of Yeshua. Look at the the holy men and women of God throughout history. Uh, You see their intensity, their holy violence, uh, their their boldness. uh, They're arguing with God. They're seeking his face. Moses cries out, Lord, I need this. I must see your face. Uh, I must have your presence. Uh, We can't go from here unless you're leading us. Jacob, Jacob wrestles with God. This is a mark of those who are advancing in God's kingdom. Now, holy brothers and sisters, is there this hard pursuit after God's face in your life? Is there that holy violence in your prayer life? Do you get peace in the midst of the storm by violently laying a hold of God's word and reminding yourself of his promises? The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it forcibly. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we've got such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despising its shame, and and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen.
Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. And the music team to come on up, please. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for Yeshua's word today, that when he calls a man, he bids him to come and die. To die to self, to die to the self-life, to die to self-centeredness and pride and ego and selfish ambition. Uh, and this me first attitude. And then he raises us up to newness of life. So, Lord, we hear your call on our life. We hear your radical call to discipleship. And we answer that call today. Uh, oh, we die to self, and we take up our cross, and we follow you. Yeshua, we follow you. We publicly confess that you are our number one overriding priority. Lord Yeshua, uh, burn your love into our hearts. As John the Baptist said, immerse us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Let our love for you, Lord, be so strong that all other loves, by comparison, look like hate. Not that we love others less, but that we love you more. Yeshua, we want your kingdom, we want your spirit to come into our life today with a holy passion, with life-changing force, with spiritual violence, with intensity, with fully devoted commitment. We die, Lord, today to our bitterness and resentments. We die to our unforgiveness and our judgmentalism against others. We die to our pride and envy and our greed and dishonesty. We die to our secret addictions and lusts. And we take up our cross and we follow you. Make us into your image. Fill our life with your love and joy and peace your goodness and faithfulness, your gentleness and kindness, your long-suffering and self-control. We surrender anew to you. Immerse us in the fire of your love. We pray this in your name, Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat shalom.